on Good Morning. Man, I am excited to be able to talk to you today. We had a bit of technical problems and so we decided to just shift everything 30 minutes later. But I hope that you are listening. Wherever you are, whether you're listening to us on Voice of God FM 106.0 megahertz, whether you are actually tuned into the website at voiceofgodfm.co.ls or you are listening on our Facebook page, or my YouTube channel, wherever it is that you are watching and listening to us live. I am excited to be able to talk to you today. Today is going to be good. I promise you today is going to be good. If you know anybody that might benefit from today, why don't you just text them? Just give them just that nice little share button, whatever it is that you're doing. If you're listening on Facebook, why don't you just create a watch party? I will be able to interact with all of you wherever it is that you are. I'm excited. I'm excited. If you can hear me, give me a thumbs up and let me know that, Pastor, I can hear you. And before we get started, I want to actually know, where are you watching or listening to us from? Where are you watching or listening to us from? Uh, We're at the convention center. I promise you the security to get here is quite a lot of work. But where are you listening to, to us from? Or where are you watching us from? Why don't you just text whatever it is, whatever it is that you're doing. My wife says she's watching from YouTube today. Uh, somebody, I, I, I don't quite get what that means. But wherever it is that you are watching, just simply just comment right where the video is. Let us know where are you watching us from? Are you in bed? Are you at home? Are you at Ditawaneng? Are you at Khubetuan? Are you at Naledi? Where are you? I am so excited. And if you're listening to us on the radio, why don't you just text me? My number is 5887-8877. I'm excited to be able to speak to you today. Thank you for inviting me into your home. Man, I I don't take this lightly. I know that it's serious. It's serious business. And we're going to get to some good word, some good word today. So share the stream with anyone that you know. And as we are doing that, let us take it over to Dee for the offering. Good morning. I hope you are all well. Um, So when I was preparing the offering message, I felt the Lord lead me to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, um, where God tests Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, who was to inherit his father's estate. It is through this story that I felt that God wants to remind us that he is our provider. In verse 7, um, Isaac asks his father where the lamb for the offering is. And listen to Abraham's reply in verse 8. It reads, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. God himself will provide. That's it. So God is asking us to continue giving our offerings. And for some of us, we are looking at what we have and the uncertainty before us. Maybe we're not sure if we'll still have jobs to go to after this. Or maybe, you know, wondering just how long our savings will last. Some of us may even only have enough to sustain us for just this month or this week. Some may, it may just be our last. And yet, We know that the Lord is asking us to continue to give, even in this season. 
I feel that the Lord is encouraging us this morning with that reminder that He is our provider, that He provided what we have today, and that He will certainly provide what we need tomorrow, next week, and the months to come. Abraham didn't know how God was going to do it. All he knew was that God Himself will provide. And this is the promise that we can hold on to, that the Lord, our provider, He is faithful to provide for all our needs. May the Lord bless you as you give. May you see His faithfulness to you as your provider. And I pray that He will open each of our eyes to see that provision. Amen. Thank you very much, Dee. We are truly, absolutely excited uh, that God has provided for us until now. God has been our provider until now. Let me tell you, whatever it is that you're struggling with, God is your provider until now. Someone's listening from Halekele uh, on the radio. There's someone listening from Hamabote. There is someone as well listening from Hamatala. There's someone as well uh, watching from Rustenburg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Someone also watching from Masue 3. Someone watching from home, Sabi, from home. Yes, but I am absolutely excited to be able to talk to you and to be able to interact with you at this time. I promise you, it doesn't matter what plague they say there is, your financial bank account shall not receive a plague in Jesus' name. You shall increase in a time where there seems to be decrease. You shall grow when people are afraid of actually uh, diminishing. That even when the world is diminishing, you shall grow and you shall increase. May God honor his, God shall honor his covenant with you. God made a covenant with you. It is important to him. It is important to all of us that we remember that it is he who promised. Not us who promised, but he, the Lord, who promised. Man, I will be with you all the way until 10.30 or towards 10.45. I hear that. I have a bit of a buffer right there. And we will see as we keep on going and see what God has in store. Today, I'm going to talk about something absolutely exciting. I'm going to talk to you about your hair shall grow back. Whatever it is, wherever it is that you're listening to me from, your hair shall grow back. There was a man of God, his name was Samson, and uh, it was the day that his hair was cut off that he lost his strength. He lost the supernatural strength that God had uh, put upon him. And it is the day that his hair grew back that he received back his strength. And maybe you have done something. And maybe in your life, like Samson, you have done some stuff you're not proud of. Maybe in your life, you have done things that you look back and you're like, well, I wish I don't want to relive those. I don't want to uh, re-experience those again. And if you are at that place and you are just saying, man, I don't want to go through all that difficulty that I went to previously. I just want to speak to you today and to say your hair will grow back again. 
Before we get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today, we're actually going to have a testimony, just one testimony. We're going to take one story from uh, one person in our church. And I think that this story is so human. The reason that as well that we are sharing this story with you is to let you see just what God has done, to let you see just what the Father has been up to until this moment in the lives of His children. And to also encourage you so that you may realize that God is also at work with you as well. God loves you. God loves you. And I want you to listen to this story and to hear your story within her story. All right, let us take it over to Ndebo. A lot of you know my story, but mostly women know my story. In 2006, I fell pregnant, but I decided I'm not going to have this baby because I was scared. I was confused. I made an appointment, went to the clinic, terminated the pregnancy, and then went back to my place. I was alone. I couldn't tell anyone because it was a secret that I didn't want anyone to know. So I kept it to myself for so many years, but it was killing me inside. It was tearing me apart, but I couldn't tell anyone. I could not forgive myself. I could not let God to forgive me because that was the worst thing I thought I ever did. Some years later, I think three, I went for counseling. During that time, I realized that God has forgiven me. I was the one who could not forgive myself for what I did. But I was like, no, I don't deserve, I don't deserve forgiveness, especially from myself. So I, I lived in self-condemnation for such a long time. I was sad. I couldn't feel a thing. I couldn't let anyone, you know, to see me for who I really am. I built this thick wall around me because I didn't want to let anyone in because I was scared they might see me for who I really am. At that time, someone who killed that child. But one day, I was listening to a song called Forgiven by Dr. Dumi. It became my anthem. Not a day would go by without me listening to that song. And I realized that was God, you know, talking to me, saying to me, I have forgiven you. It's time for you to forgive yourself. That was when I forgave myself. And since that day, I was free from self-condemnation. I knew from that day that I could go to God with anything, boldly and say, Lord, forgive me. And he would forgive me. God forgives. It doesn't matter what you have done. How unfaithful you have been towards him. He forgives. God forgave me. I killed my own child. So if he forgave me, he can forgive you for any sin. For any sin that you think it's the worst. So God forgives. 
he does forgive. God absolutely forgives. Man, that's a that's a story that's altogether too human. It's a story that's that we all identify with. It's a story because all of us have had our mess up, isn't it? And our mistake. And thank God that God does not relate to us based off of our own works, but on his own work. And it is his work that brings about the drastic change that we all need. Now, all of you uh, that are listening to me as well. Uh, oh, Debbie from Brisbane, Australia. Hi, friend. Thank you uh, for listening in. Um, and you as well from Maseru East and as well from Ditabaning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get straight to the meat of it. Why don't we just go to the book of Judges? If there's anything we all have in common is our imperfection and our battle with sin. But that battle with sin doesn't have to end. The day, it doesn't have to end with the story of us having lost, but the story of Christ having won and overcome. Doesn't matter what it is that we've struggled with. God brings about a healing, a transformation, and an absolute turnaround when we allow him. Judges chapter 16, go with me there. I know you're at home, so why don't you just go get your Bible. Take your, take your, your, your phone with you, go get your Bible, and go straight to Judges 16 with me. Judges 16 verse 21. I'm going to read from verse 21, and I'm going to read the story maybe to verse 31, because I think it's important. So if you are there, Verse 21, it says, the Philistines seized him. Now it's talking about Samson. And let me give you an idea of what went on in Samson's life. Something we can all absolutely relate to. Samson was told what not to do. He was told that... Oh, okay. No, thank you very much. I am seeing all your feedback as it's coming. But Samson was told by his people uh, or by God not to do certain things. And he was told to not touch something that is dead. He was told to not cut off his hair. He was given clear commandments by God of what not to do. But you know something? Samson did them all. He was told exactly what not to do. God said, well, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't drink wine. Don't touch anything dead. Don't cut off your hair. And Samson did all those three things. And at the end of it, as God would have it, and as God warned him, what happened? He lost all his strength. He was the strongest man to ever live. But then because he disobeyed God in every facet and in every way, what happened is Samson lost his strength. You see, the truth is this. The truth is that most of us end up losing the strength and what God has imputed on us because we are disobedient. Isn't this not true? But the story doesn't end there. 
all of us know that we have our story of disobedience, but we like to end at the point of disobedience because at the point of disobedience, we decide that the story is done. While God is still penning the story, we decide the story is done. But you see, the story of Samson was not done. If you read verse 20 and you see that, wait a minute, Samson has just lost his strength. The thing that we can think is that, well, Samson lost his strength, so this means that the story is over. Oh, what a shame. What a shame that such a strong man, oh, what a shame that such a powerful man ended up losing all his strength because of his own disobedience. I think sometimes this is the takeaway we take from the story of Samson, and this is not just it. You see, the story of Samson continues. The story of Samson is not done even after his worst failures not just failure, but failures, plural. He does all these things, fails at all of them. And you know what? God still comes back to him. And when God comes back to him, he says, well, we still have some work to do. And I want to tell you that maybe you are at the place where, like Samson, you've done all the things you were told not to do. You start to identify with a man and you're like, well, I've done all the things I know I'm not supposed to be doing, Pastor. And I'm at my place where my life has fallen apart. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how much your life may seem to have fallen apart. Christ Jesus is with you and your story is not over. If you're still breathing, he's not done working. If you're still alive, he is not done working. Don't put a full stop where God has just put a coma. Don't put a full stop at the height of God's work in your life. Because at the moments when you think that things have fallen apart and when you think that God is no longer working with you, God might be working his greatest work like he did with Samson. At the point when people thought, well, his God has deserted him. He no longer has strength in him. You see, they accounted that Samson has lost all his strength. And I want to tell you something, that Samson did not lose the strength as they supposed. That Samson did not lose the strength that, that God has given him as they supposed. That it was not permanent. You see, they thought that what was only temporary was permanent in Samson's life. And maybe you are receiving some kind of backlash from your own disobedience. And maybe you know that you've lived in disobedience. And I, and I know it's hard sometimes to go ahead and say, you know what, I've been disobedient. Just go ahead, admit it. That's the first point of moving on. But the day that you have admitted your own disobedience, do not put a full stop there. Do not let failure define you because that's the job of the father. Only the father can define who you are, not your failure and not your works. But the day that you allow, just because you failed, to al you allow that to define who you actually are, you are not allowing or giving the father the chance to define you as his son or his daughter. And the father wants to define you as his son or his daughter at this moment. Failure cannot define you. But what it needs to do is to remind you, to remind you of the love of the Father, to remind you how much He cares about you, to remind you that He actually died for you and He died for you in that mess. I want to continue the story of Samson here. So Samson, eventually Delilah comes in, cuts off his hair. And after Delilah cuts off Samson's hair, he loses all of his strength. And maybe you've had your Delilah. You've had things that have cut off your strength. 
I understand that absolutely. And after your hair is cut off, they're just thinking, well, the story of Samson is done. The Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And they forced to grind grain in, and they forced him, and he was forced to grind grain in the prison. Verse 22. See, this is the sneaky little verse that we are actually just going to lay and just stick on. It says this, but his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. But his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. But what were the Philistines thinking at this time? They're not focusing on Samson's hair. They have gouged, gouged out his eyes and they're thinking there is no way this guy is a threat to the Philistines any longer. His strength is gone. And maybe the devil and his minions are sitting down and they're saying, we've gouged out his eyes. There's no way he or she is a threat to our kingdom any longer. And maybe you're sitting there after your failure and what, what you have done and the stuff you're not proud about. And you just have shame all over you. And you are just wondering, well, am I actually going to make it through this? Am I actually going to do the stuff that God said I will do? Am I actually going to do the stuff that God promised that I will do? Or is this the end? And should I actually just resign myself to the fact that this is the end? Should I resign myself to the fact that, you know what? Uh, it was a good run. But you know what? Uh, this is the end. And this is the way it ended too bad. Is that the story of Samson? And so he goes on. Now the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their God, Dagon. They rejoiced and said, our God has handed over our enemy Samson to us. For a moment, in a split second in time, it looked like the devil and his minions were winning. The Philistines looked straight at uh, at God and his prophet and his judge. And they said, hmm, looks like the kingdom of God is not exactly winning now, is it? It doesn't look like God is actually overcoming. And can I tell you something? It may look like the enemy has won over you, but it is only a split second. The story isn't over. The story isn't over. If you're still alive, he's still working. If you're still alive, he's still winning. If you're still alive, you still have the opportunity to get back up again. Oh, I tell you, sin is dangerous. Sin will kill you. Sin will stifle you. Sin will steal from you. Sin can cause you to be blind. Sin can cause you to lose the strength that God has given you. Sin can do all these things, but I want to let you know that sin does not have as much strength or as much power as the grace of the living God. That as much as sin can steal, sin cannot win over grace. For where grace, where sin increased, what happened? Grace all the more increased. Where sin abounded, grace even much more abounded. Grace is stronger than sin. The character and the heart of the Father is a heart of grace and love. And that is stronger than any form of sin that you may struggle with or that you're struggling with. The reason that people go back to their sin most times is because they give up. They give up. 
They don't walk away from it because they're just thinking, well, I've already done it. I'm already one of those. I'm already part of the statistic. I'm already part of the people that used to be in church but are not in church anymore. I'm already part of those people that, you know, have started well but didn't do so well, so, so well in the middle of their story or at the end of their story. And so I might as well continue the way that I am because there's no reason to start again. And I want to tell you that that is a lie from the devil. And what he wants to do is to put a full stop and an ending to a story that, only, that God has only begun to tell. And God has only begun to tell your story right now. He has only begun to tell the wonderful story that he has been writing through you. And it's about time that you actually wake up and realize that God is busy working while you're busy getting discouraged. That while you're busy giving up on the fact that you have failed, on the fact that you can't continue anymore, on the fact that you are just like, well, I'm just not good enough. Well, I just don't feel like I can do this anymore. And God is saying, but your story isn't done. Your story isn't done. I am busy working. Your story isn't done. I am busy working. Your story isn't done. I am busy working. And so verse 24, when the people saw him, they praised their God and said, our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. So everybody's just like, this story is over. It's done. This guy is blind. This guy is being used as a donkey to grind mill. He is being used at the do like a donkey. Donkey, and he is absolutely useless at this point. So we can tell you that God, our God, which is Dagon, has actually overcome. And when they were in good spirits, they said, bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. He played the man. And it's sometimes when it looks like everything has fallen apart, you may be playing the man for a little bit. But you see... These guys were looking at the strength of Samson. And what they failed to account for was the God of Samson. They were looking at what Samson could do with his own biceps and power. They failed to look at what God could do with Samson. Because it doesn't matter what Samson did with, with the strength that God gave him. Now we're looking at what God can do with Samson. And I want to tell you that sometimes you're looking at your own strength and looking at the stuff that you failed at, looking at the stuff that you didn't do right. And you're saying, well, it, do it doesn't look like, you know, maybe I'm a failure in my life. And God's looking at you and is like, wait, 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 wait. Who told you that? Did you account for the fact that I am your God? They did not account for God. They accounted for Samson. And when they were in good spirits, of course, Samson then starts to entertain them. So they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. They had him sit between the pillars. Then Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of, full of men and women and all, and all, not just a few, but all. And all the leaders of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. He called out to the Lord, Lord God. 
please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just one more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for, their, for my two eyes. Now, can I tell you something? Here's something that you're noticing. Samson's hair had only just begun to grow. Samson's hair wasn't as big as it used to be. And maybe you're just thinking, well, he doesn't have enough strength at this moment to actually push down a house, an entire temple. You see, when we think about a pillar of a house, we think of pillars that, that we have in our houses. We're thinking of those tiny little cement pillars, right? Isn't it? But what they were, they were made of tons of stone. A temple pillar was made from tons of stone. It was heavy. You can't even pick just one bit of that. I went to Egypt a few years ago and took a look at some of the temples there. They are huge. The stones are huge. The stones that they were building these with are incredibly ginormous. You can't even push one, one of the stones. And pillars are made from those stones stacked together. And this man is probably trying to push thousands of tons. And you're saying, wait, Samson, your hair isn't grown back yet. Was the strength from the hair or was the strength from his God? And right there, something starts to happen. Samson took a hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple. By the way, if they're support pillars, that means they're even bigger. They're absolutely even bigger. And then he says, supporting the temples and leaned against them, one on his right, one on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And those he killed at his death, listen, those he killed at his death were more than those he killed in his life. Now, let me just explain that a little bit more. In other words, do you remember how many Philistines Samson actually killed? It was a lot. That man killed so many people with the jawbone of a donkey. And he would fight a war by himself and win it all by himself. He was an incredibly strong man. But the last act of obedience in his life, let me say, why was Samson put there? Why was Samson given to his parents? If you go back to the story, it says God actually wanted to destroy the Philistines with Samson. Hold on. God wanted to destroy the Philistines or to bring punishment, if you would, to the Philistines through Samson. And so as God is doing this, what was the goal of Samson's life? Okay to take down the leaders of the Philistines, to take down the Philistines. This was the goal that Samson was given. And maybe everybody's looking at the point where Samson lost his hair and they're saying, well, what a promising young man. He could have actually finished and stamped out the Philistines. If so many times people miss, it says, and all the leaders of the Philistines were in that house. Let's talk here. Samson, if he fought the Philistines from the outside, not from the inside, but from the outside, he would be killing armies. He would be killing all the servants of the Philistines. Everybody that was sent to war by the Philistines, he would be killing all those guys. But this time, one man wiped out the entire leadership of the Philistines. 
in one foul swoop. So I want to ask you something. Maybe here we are and you're just saying, well, you know, Samson failed at what God had called him to do. Now, did he? Or did God use Samson's failure for Samson to actually fulfill what God actually wanted him to do in the first place? Samson killed all the leaders of the Philistines in one action that he couldn't do by fighting many, many, many wars. By fighting many, many wars, he would not have had the victory that he had at that one time. So a blind man, so a weak blind man eventually brings a nation to its knees. A weak blind man who has no strength whatsoever is the man that actually throws the blow that brings the Philistines to their knees. One man, weak, blind, useless from what they're thinking, brings the entire nation to their knees. What happened here? Let me tell you something. They accounted for Samson's strength, but they did not. They did not account for the God of Samson. Because the God of Samson used what looked like failure and actually used it to fulfill the calling upon Samson's life. Was the calling upon Samson's life actually fulfilled? Yes. Was the calling upon Samson's life actually fulfilled? Yes. How did it come about? It came about a way that Samson even would not have thought. That the God who uses all things for the good of those who love him. That he would take even Samson's brokenness and Samson's failure. And he would turn it around and then use that to destroy the entire nation of the Philistines. See, in there. If you were looking for a leader of the Philistines, he was present at that feast. If you were looking for anyone of repute in, the, in, in, in Philistia, he was in that temple. They came to make fun of Samson and his God. But God destroyed them all. It took one action for the God of Samson to do what Samson in his strength failed to do for decades. It took one God, it took one God, the God of Samson, one little instance to bring the entire nation to its knees. And you're like, oh, Samson died and he did not fulfill his calling. No, he died because he just finished it. He died because he just finished his entire call that God had in store for him. Then his brothers and his father came down, carried him back, and buried him between Zorah and Estaol in the, in the tomb of his father Manoah. So he judged Israel 20 years. That's interesting. When scripture speaks of Samson, it speaks of Samson, and it speaks about the way that he was buried. <clears throat> buried in honor. He was buried in honor. In the tomb of Manoah. He was buried as a judge of Israel. He was buried as a guy that finished his work. And I just want to tell you something. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I just want to tell you. It doesn't matter where it may look like. Where your failure may seem to have put you. It is not the end. Don't put a full stop where God has not put a full stop. 
Because in moments when it looks like God is doing nothing, he may be doing his greatest work. Can you imagine how long Samson must have been in that dungeon with no strength and no eyes, just thinking to himself, well, I didn't think I'd end up this way. Can you imagine how long Samson must have been thinking to himself, well, God is not actually doing anything and I don't blame him because I am the one that disappointed him. Can you imagine how Samson must have been feeling the whole time? And, and all this thing is going on. Samson is thinking, God, are you doing anything at all? God, are you actually working? And God's looking at Samson. He's saying, Samson, I'm doing my greatest work. And sometimes my greatest work looks like I am doing nothing at all. And I'm waiting for these guys to see your humanness. And to play you the fool. And in that moment when they are deriding your humanness, my divinity shall show up. See, I love the story of Samson because in the end, Samson is not the hero of the story. God is. I love the story of Samson because in the end, it's not about how Samson did incredible things for God, but it's about how God can use even frail humans. That it was never about Samson, was it? That the strength and the power of Samson was never him. It was never about him, but it was absolutely about what God could do with him. And I want to tell you something. Your story is not about you. It's about what God can do with you. God has great things in store for you. God has great things that he is still waiting to unveil for you. And those great things will actually bring glory to him, not you. At the end of this, can I tell you, at the end of my life, it will not be about how great and how awesome I was. It will be about how God can use a broken man, how God can use a broken person, how God can take a smashed grain of sand and do some incredible works with it. And at the end of your life, I hope it's the same thing. That they look and they say, well, you know what? He was human. She was human. There was nothing about what she did that we could say was absolutely uh, outside of humanity. But here's one thing we learned. That God still took him. That God still took her. That God still took all of these people. And what he did is that he showed off with all of them. And what God is doing right now, he wants to show off with you. God wants to show off with you. Will you let him? Will you let him? At some point, you have to die. At some point. The part of you that needs to be the hero must die. If you are going to accept what God offers us freely by grace, the part of us that needs for us to be the hero of the story must die. And at that point, the real hero of the story will arise. At that point, God, who can do anything, 
will arise. And I want to tell you, your story isn't over. Maybe you are at your worst. Maybe you feel like Samson. Maybe you feel like you're blind, weak, and a poor man. Just in the, gar- in the dungeon and there is nothing there. I want to tell you that it may look like there is nothing there. But God is there. And you will fulfill what God has spoken over you. And at the end of you fulfilling what God has spoken over you, God will be the hero of that story. I think at some point in heaven, what we will be doing is we will be sitting down, maybe shoulder to shoulder, sitting there and just thinking for moments and just saying, man, you know what? God did a great work with me. And maybe your friend will look over at you and say, well, you know, I used to think you were a terrible person because I saw your humanity. But I see that the reason that Jesus came was because of how terrible you were. And yet look at what he has done with you. Can I tell you something? God's not done with you yet. And it doesn't matter how, fee- how far you feel like you are from him. Or how broken you may think you are. God's not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. He has only just begun. And I know rising up from the ashes can be something very difficult. Rising up when when there's brokenness in your life can be something extremely difficult. But I want to encourage you that it's doable. It may look like right now things are really difficult and I don't know where to start. You know, pastor, I used to be a good Christian. Everybody used to know me as a good Christian. Everybody used to respect me as a good Christian. But then right now, pastor, I don't think I'm a good Christian. If you were to ask me what type of Christian I am, I would tell you what type of Christian I am. That is a broken Christian. That is a Christian that has been seen for who he is, not for who he's been trying to be the whole time. I am that type of Christian. And I want to tell you that maybe you're looking at yourself and that's what you're feeling. God's not done with you yet. And God still has in store things you still can't imagine. I bet you, while they were making fun of Samson, that they didn't read the previous verse, that said Samson's hair will grow back. And maybe that's where you are. You know, in the ancient Near East, this is where the Bible happened. Okay? In the ancient Near East, the whole idea of having a head that's shaved was a symbol, a symbol of shame. And Samson wallowed in his shame. And he was ashamed in front of everybody. Everybody thought it was funny. Everybody thought it was entertainment. Everybody looked at Samson and thought, well, look at him. What did he think? He thought that he thought that he, he would bring the Philistines to their knees. <laughs> what is he thinking? See, the whole time they're making fun of him and Samson is living in shame. But his hair began to grow back. Maybe that's what you're struggling with at this moment. Maybe you're struggling with things. Maybe 
when you think about certain times in your past, you can't even bear to relive them in your mind. In your mind. You can't even bear to relive them in your mind. That's how ashamed you are. And maybe you look back at some of your decisions and you're just like, I wish I could redo them. And maybe God's looking at you at this moment and he's saying, my son, my daughter, maybe it's time to get up from that shame. Some of you are struggling with different things, wherever you may be. Maybe you're struggling with habits. Maybe you're struggling with things that you are really not proud of. Maybe you're struggling with stuff that, to be honest with you, if somebody was to see what you are actually doing in the secret parts of your life, that you would fall over in shame. And I want to tell you that this doesn't have to be the end of your story. This can be the beginning of God's story through you. This can be the beginning of what God can do with you. See, when everybody is dancing and they're saying, well, there's the end of that guy or that girl, then God is saying, now I think that girl or that guy is a type of person that I can actually use for my purposes now. When, other, when, when the world and when the demons and when the devils see a broken person that is absolutely defeated, God looks and he sees, I can use that. I can use that. I can use that. And whatever brokenness it is that you're going through, friend, I want to tell you, God can use that. God can use that. And how does he do it? The gospel. The gospel is actually for people like you and me. The gospel is actually for people like you and me. And this is what the gospel is. It's that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. For hardly would Christ die for a righteous man. For would anyone die for a righteous man? But for a righteous man, someone might dare to die. But God proves his love to us in this, that yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. I'm quoting, by the way, that scripture. And I want to tell you something, that God looks at you and sees the brokenness that you are seeing. He saw it before you saw it. And he sees that brokenness. And what's his response? His response isn't, well, try harder. No. That is not God's response. God's response is this. I have overcome. I will overcome sin for you and I will give you the victory. See, I think sometimes we don't know how to deal with sin. We don't know how to respond to sin. Because most times when we look at sin, what we're thinking is, well, uh, how are we actually going to handle that? Sin turns tends to make people nervous. Sin tends to make the church nervous. And it shouldn't because Christ overcame it. Our God overcame it. We know something greater and stronger than that sin, and it's God's grace. And if we approach a scenario of sin with grace, we will overcome. We will overcome. We will because grace is stronger than sin. 
judgment is a result of sin, but grace is a cure for sin. Let's take a look at the book of Romans. I know I've been preaching a little bit. Let's go to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I saw that Precious was writing the, the, the scriptures down. Go ahead and write the scriptures down again, Precious. So this one is Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. And I want you to see this so that you can come out of whatever situation you're in. Your hair will grow back again. It's time to come out of it. And the way that you are going to come out of this is by hearing the scripture. Not just with your head, but hearing the scripture with your entire heart. Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Hopefully you are there. It reads as follows. It says, Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Let me, uh, let me stop right there and ask you. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Do you understand the question? The question is this. In fact, let's continue it so that he makes it absolutely clear. He says, God is the one who justifies. Verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Now, I know we like to think of that word intercede. And when we think of intercede in our mind, what do we think? We're thinking of intercession prayers. We're thinking of praying for the government. We're thinking of praying for this. But I, wa I, I want to just get you back to what that means in its context. And in scriptural context, what intercession was used for. You see, when a priest came in to the Holy of Holies once a year, he would, he would uh, bring blood and sprinkle it on the altar. And what that called, it was intercession. It was him praying on behalf of the sinner. It was him offering sacrifice for the sinner. It was him offering propitiation for the sinner. In other words, the sinner doesn't have to die, this animal died. In other words, what he was saying is that the person that has done what is wrong does not have to receive that punishment on them. This animal right here that we just killed received that punishment. So let's read it with that understanding. It says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? In other words, who can come to you and say, unrighteous, 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 when God has looked at you and said, Righteous, righteous, righteous. See, the funny thing about God, let me tell you, the funny thing about this whole Christian story is this, is that you may sin, and I may be mad at you about your sin, isn't it? But then God forgives you for your sin. And I'm the only one left mad. <laughs> Do you see that? Why? Because God is looking to restore and forgive the sinner. Not to condemn and punish the sinner. If that's what you're thinking, you should not be alive. Can I ask you a question? What is the price for sin? What is the correct price for sin? Is death. 
Makes it very clear. Romans 3.23, what does it say? It says that, for all have sinned and done what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Isn't it? And what do they do? Is that they are deserving of death. The fruit or the wages of sin is death. So let me ask you, what's the wages of a lie? According to God's justice system, what's the wage for a lie? Death. What's the wage for a white lie? Death. What's the wage for um, thinking a bad thought? Death. What's the wage for, you name it, sin is sin. So tell me, why are you not dead? Because Christ is trying to redeem the sinner, not bring punishment on them. A time for judgment is coming. And that time, this is a time for the grace and the mercy of God. And what you need to do is to realize and let your sin be placed upon him and not carry it anymore. He says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who justifies? God. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He's also at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there? He is interceding for us. Let me quote another scripture right off my memory here. It's 1 John 2 verse 2. What does it say? It says the following. In fact, let me not quote it. Let's go together to it. You still have that same idea of intercession in your mind. And let's go to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. It says this. In fact, let's start from verse 1 so that you do not misunderstand it. He says, my little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. That's why he's writing. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is, again, he uses the intercessory language. He himself is the atoning sacrifice, or he himself is the propitiation, or he himself in Greek is the elasmos. And what that is, is that sacrifice which brings about forgiveness. And that's who Jesus is. The sacrifice that brings about your forgiveness. Why am I stressing this? Because listen to me. Until you get to a point of realizing that it is not because of my works that I can be able to get up on my own two feet again. But it is because of the sacrifice of Jesus you will stay in the same place you are. The day that you realize Christ Jesus died for me, Christ Jesus died for me. The day that you realize that, my friend, is the day that you will be free from your sin. God wants you free from your sin. Christ wants you free from your sin. You do not have to remain in sin any longer. And he has made a way for you to be free from that. You know, so many times we want to make people jump through hoops for us to forgive them. To say, well, if you actually wanted forgiveness, you should do this, and then I might think about forgiving you. Now, I'm not trying to diminish restitution. Understand me well. But I am saying that there's absolutely, absolutely nothing you have to do to gain God's forgiveness. That it is bought. That Christ Jesus paid for it. 
you did not. And no one else can pay for that, for that forgiveness for you. Receive the forgiveness from the Father alone. See, when you have sinned and when you're in isolation, when you have sinned and you are by yourself and you are just looking at all the mess that has happened in your life, can I tell you something? We sometimes struggle to get back. We sometimes really struggle to get back. And I want you to hear these words in your time of isolation where you've walked away from God, yet God loves you too much. And I want to tell you something. Come back to the Father. He has made a way for you. Last week, I quoted stories, three stories that come from the book of Luke. And these amazing stories that come from the book of Luke, I want to see if I can get them in Luke chapter 15, I believe. I believe it's Luke chapter 15. Hopefully that's it. Yes, Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. And I'm going to tell you these stories. I'm trying to look at my time. I do have a bit of time. Let's, take a, let's keep on going. It says, Verse 1, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them? He has how many? A hundred sheep and he loses one. In other words, what is Jesus saying? That this one could be negligible. And he has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. He says, does he not leave the 99 in an open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Where does he put it? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And maybe that's you at this moment, and you are just saying, Well, you know what, Pastor, I have just not lived right. Everybody else does this church thing right except me. Did you hear that story? It says that there'll be more joy over you than anybody else that's still in the church. If you would come back to him, he's just saying, man, I will go out looking for you. And let me tell you, maybe the 99 right now are still saved. I am just elongating this by maybe another 10 minutes. Those of you listening on me, to me on the radio, I have been given this freedom to do this. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. And so he says this. The second story that he does, it's he's still trying to tell them the heart of the father. Do you see this? Second story, he says, Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Look at this. One woman, 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the, God of, in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Look at that again. Lost one coin. Everybody's probably thinking, man, it's just one coin. How? Why are you making such a big fuss about it? 
says, no, I will sweep the house. I will tear everything apart to go get to that person. I will leave the 99 to go get to that person. I will tear everything apart to find you. That's what God feels about you. And anything else you feel that is not that is not what God feels for you. Verse 11, and he also said, and from the backdrop of these two stories, this is where this third story comes from. And I make my point and we finish. And it's this, he said, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish leaving. Verse 14. So whose fault was this? That, what, what, what was it that this son was this way? It was his fault. He squandered his estate. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, just like Samson, just like Samson, doesn't it remind you? Just like Samson. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. Pause. Right there. What is he saying? He's saying my father is better than this. My father's house is better than this. My father's house is better than this. I shall get up and go to my father because I know who my father is. He's the type of father that leaves 99 sheep to go after one. He's the type of father that turns everything around just to find the one lost coin. And he says, I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That's it. That's it. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off. Listen. He wasn't even close to, to the father. He was a long way off. What happened? His father saw him and was filled with compassion. So as he was coming, what was his father doing? He was watching. His father was watching over the brow of the hill the whole time, waiting. And as he was a long way off, it says, listen to this. <laughs> he was filled with compassion. That's the first thing. Then he ran, threw his arms around him, around his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So listen, 
So he summoned one of his servants, questioning the things, what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in, so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to the father, look again. He was angry, didn't want to go in. So what does his father do? He goes out and he pleads with him. That's the heart of the father. The heart of the father is not this, oh, you self-righteous person. How is it that you do not want to celebrate your, your brother's uh, repentance? No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He goes to him and he begs him. He says, come on, man, come in, come in, come into the house. This is the father's heart. And then he says, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Can I tell you something? The truth about all this is this, is that the father, even though people are broken, God knows what to do with broken things. Even though people are lost, God knows what to do with lost things. Even though you may be at your worst, your worst place yet, God knows exactly what to do with you. God is in the redemption business. God is about to redeem you, to redeem all the stuff that you did. And maybe like Samson, you're just feeling like, you know what, pastor, I am at the place where I am at the worst of my worst. And I want to tell you, it may look like you've gotten far from God. It may look like you don't even see your way back to him. And I want to say to you that it doesn't matter. God will use even what you think is the worst of the worst. God will use even your brokenness. God will use even the stuff that you think that, man, I don't know how I'm going to come back from this. Like Samson. Remember what he was doing with Samson? The whole time everybody is saying, Samson, you have missed it. You've missed the plot. You are going to die in shame. And God is saying, no, I'm going to use Samson's very faults to glorify myself. I want to tell you right now that God wants to use even the brokenness in your life to glorify himself. God wants to use even what you think can never be redeemed in you. And what he's going to do is that he's going to put it back together. He's going to take the broken pieces and he's going to put you back together in a way that only he can. Man, I want to tell you something. God loves you. God loves you. Regardless of where you are, God loves you. And if you're listening to me at this moment, I want to pray with some people. Maybe you're listening to me and you're just saying, Pastor, I don't know. I can't see my way back. I don't know if I can do this again. That's what we're doing. This whole month, what we'll be talking about is this. Do it again. Again. To do it again. Maybe you're just saying, I don't, I don't know how to come back from this. I don't know how to... <sighs> feels like I am so far away that I literally can't see my way back. Can I tell you something? The father is looking straight at you and he's saying, we can do this again. Come back home. Come back to the father's house. Come back to God's house. Because I want to tell you that in the father's house is only his heart. That he's willing to have you back.
doesn't matter how broken you are. He has not discounted you. Other people looked at you and said, too broken, we can't use this, and threw you away. But God looks at you and he says, broken just enough for me to use. So it doesn't matter where you are today, just know this. Christ Jesus has you and he wants you to come back home. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, how do I even come back? The same way that the prodigal son did. Pastor, how do I do this? He said, I will go back to the Father and what will I say? I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. That's it. So if you are thinking that, Pastor, I don't even know how to come back from the kind of stuff I've done. No. What did it take the prodigal son? I need to come back home and say, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. So wherever you are, maybe you need to get back up and to say, God, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against this person or that person. And I've sinned against you. So wherever it is that you're listening to me, why don't you just pray this prayer with me? If you are there and you're saying, I'm coming back home. I refuse to stay the way that I used to be. If that's you, pray this prayer. Mean it with all your heart. Pray it to God. All right, pray it to God with all your heart. I'm not going to say magical words. All that we're going to do is come back to the Father in prayer. All right, let's pray this prayer together. Can we say, dear God, I admit I'm a sinner. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my brothers and sisters. I have sinned. Please forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you. Do with my life whatever you want. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose. And I believe that you forgive me. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. See, that may look easy or simplistic. But I want to tell you, if you meant that with all your heart, welcome back home. Welcome back home. And I want to tell you that it's no small matter. You can imagine what the angels are doing now. You can imagine the party that's in heaven now. You can imagine just how glad God is to see you back. And I am glad to see you back. My number, 5887-8877. That's not some office number. That's my number. And wherever it is that you're struggling, I know last week uh, most of you contacted me. And I know that uh, as you were contacting me that sometimes it took a while for me to respond. That's because I get a lot of messages. But I have responded to each one of you. And every single one of you that has prayed that prayer and meant it with all their hearts and are saying, I am going back, Pastor. I am going back. I want you to text me my number, 5887-8877. Just send me a WhatsApp text, text, and I will get back to you. I will pray with you. We will place you in a church closest to you, wherever it is that you're listening to us from. And hey, even some of you that were in a church before, and maybe it's time for you to come back, we have actually placed some back in churches that they needed to be at. 
And maybe it's time to go back home. All right. And maybe some of you don't have a, a, a place that you call home. You are more than welcome at God's house. That's, what, that, that's the name of this church. Now I think you're getting it from the parable. Why it's GH and why it's called God's house. It's literally that. That you can come. That God has been waiting for you. That he is excited to have you back. I am looking forward to meeting you in person. You who just prayed this. I love you very much. I love you with all my heart. And I want to tell you that this is not the end. It is only the beginning. Hey, if you want to give our banking details, you can just look. Uh, Montel, why don't you just put it up, uh, the, 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 lower, the lower thirds again. Just put them up on the screen again. Just so that people can see some of the banking details and some of the EcoCash, uh, the the Mbesa the as well. Just put it all up there. And you are more than welcome to give. We love and appreciate every single person that we've been able to help even at this time. All right. And I promise you that you have helped lives. By giving to this, you have been able to help families that at this time did not have a lot of food that did not have a lot in terms of resources. Uh, we have great people. I love our deacons. We have great people that are overseeing the supply of food, great people that are making sure that everybody's provided for. Feels like the early church a little bit, where you have deacons who are watching over the resources that we have so that everyone is well provided and taken care of. And that is all because of your generosity. Thank you so much. I love you guys. Have an incredible Sunday. It was such a joy to talk to you. I am so sorry that uh, we started about 30 minutes late, but hey, we are all see, sitting at home and we're all just enjoying our families together. And I'm sure that this was a blessing to you. I love you all very much. See you on Wednesday. Bye-bye.